G'day, I'm Sean and welcome to the Car Expert Podcast. Joining me as always is the one and only Jade Credentino. Jade, welcome back. Thank you, pleasure to be here. And of course, the car expert himself, Scott Colley. How are you, mate? I'm better now you're not introducing me as a tall person you're calling me a car expert. That's a much nicer You're a very name. tall car expert, and Jade and I both suffer every time we get in the car after we've driven it. <laughs> yeah. So it takes about four hours to reset the seat. So At least you can get in. I can't get in after you. I bounce off the side of the seat and hop out of the car again. Sometimes I set the seat really far forward because I know you're getting in after Because you. you're cool. Yes. I have done that once. I will admit. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, we're going to get straight into it. There's been some massive news that's just dropped, uh, and we also decided after last week where we answered a few of your questions, uh, we should do it again. And we were overwhelmed with questions that we're basically going to make most of the podcast answering the things that you've asked us. So let's dive straight in. Uh, if you have been living under a rock, you may not have heard of this, but it's been pretty massive news. There is an updated Tesla Model 3. I'm not it's, been it's, it's been facelifted. It's been facelifted. It's been facelifted. So tell us, Scott, uh, what are the headlines of this new Model 3? So main changes are the looks and the interior. Uh, up front, it looks a little bit different. It's got slightly different headlights. Inside, there's still no driver display or head-up display. Ooh, but I know one person who's very upset about yes, that. Yes, he's sitting behind us, yes. but I think he's got his headphones on. <laughs> um, inside, there's a new steering wheel, new ambient lighting, and just some tweaks to the materials designed to make the car a bit quieter. And then you've got more range as well. So the standard range car now does 513 Ks, and the long range does 629 in Australia, which is up 20-odd kilometres on both counts. It is more expensive, though. Of course, there's always the but. Well, Jade, did you have a list of the pricing? What's it worth? What's the new one worth? Yeah, so I know the base one, because we had this discussion um, earlier this morning, uh, the base one is 61900 before on-road costs, which is up about $4,000. And then the long range is $71,900, again, before on-road costs, which is up only about 500 bucks. Okay, that's so, not bad. We knew this yeah. was coming, though, because uh, Tesla have been slashing all the prices across their cars for a little while now. So uh, new screen in the back, which is really cool. Yeah, eight inches for the kids to fiddle with on the drive. If they can reach it. <laughs> if they can get there, It's yeah. mounted on the, uh, like, where the AC vents would be, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's screen, AC vents, and then USB ports. And you can control, I think you control the media, which is a terrifying thought. I don't want people in the back being able to change the song. Yeah. Is Baby um, Shark still a thing? Is that <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Loop? I don't have children. So <laughs> thankfully, that's not a problem for me. Um, but yeah, beyond that, there's not all that many changes in the back. And some of these have been lifted from the Model S and the Model X. Okay, so it, it is, uh, uh, if you look at the car from the side, it looks fairly similar, but I think they've done a bit of work to the front end. Is that right, Jade? Yeah, so it's got, um, as got mentioned, new headlights, which I quite like. They're a lot more slimline, a lot more modern. The car originally came out, I was doing some research before in 2017. So this is actually traditionally a longer um, I guess, midlife update that a car would receive. So it's really nice to see that it has kind of come into the new age or, you know, today's world. And the back has had also a little bit of a refresh as well. It, you can make similarities between the two cars, but I definitely think it's a lot more fresher. It's nice. I like it. Obviously, details are scarce. It's only just been oh, announced. And it's Tesla we're dealing and with. And it's Tesla, yes. so we'll wait for a tweet from Elon. But um, at the moment, there's a standard uh, range, a long range, any sort of performance model? Not yet, but there probably will be another one. Um, the performance is obviously the fastest version, dual motor all-wheel drive. I don't know whether that's because Tesla is working on another update that's going to make it even faster. We know with the Model S, when it got a refresh, it also got plaid mode. Um, or whether they're just launching with the most sort of high volume models with the most similarities in how they're built because production and focusing on efficiency has been a big Tesla thing recently. The question I do have about it, um, 
this caused a bit of a furor with a lot of people. Tesla went about uh, removing parking sensors from Model 3s and Model Ys. Presumably, this is just Tesla Vision now. There's no sensors. They're just going to rely on their camera system. Yeah, good question. I don't have an answer for you. Actually, that's a, that's a bit of a concern, though, because I, I know there's, we had an uh, article on the site recently where Tesla Vision, but people using autopilot with Tesla Vision in the States would crash into police cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, autopilot has been... Uh, it's been a bit of a saga for Tesla. And when we say autopilot, there's different versions of it as well. Autopilot is what they call their adaptive cruise control. There's then enhanced autopilot, which will like automatically park the car and do a little bit more. Then there's full self-driving, which is the system that theoretically can drive you to work with you sitting in the driver's seat with your hands off the wheel. So, Can Australia legally have that or is that only in America? So the beta is uh, out in yeah. different parts of the world. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of lives in a grey area. It's one of those ones where if the driver is monitoring it, legally it's allowed to exist in some places, yeah. but even then it's still not an autonomous car because you have to have a driver, they have to be attentive, and yeah. based on the clips we've seen going around the web, we're a little off track here, it'd really worry me because up to a certain point it kind of works really well, but when it doesn't work really well, you can't not be concentrating. You've got to be ready straight away to grab the wheel. Yeah. So so around 62 grand for to get in one, um, what do we think delays are going to be like for getting your hands on one when they do come out? So January to March 2024 is when orders from now will start arriving in Australia. The rest of the world gets them slightly sooner depending on where you source them from. But one of the advantages the Model 3's had in Australia is that it's been in really strong supply because it's made in China mm. um, and it's much easier to ship cars from there to here than it is from the US or from Europe. So Although there's no guarantee there won't be a big rush on them like there was with the Model 3 and the Model Y at launch, one thing Tesla's been able to do really consistently is get cars to Australia and there's no reason to assume this will be different. And so Model Y should be just around the corner as well? or Presumably. Yeah, okay. Now, Jade, I do have a question for you. Uh, after last week, you said you would pick the Tesla over a Polestar. Polestar. I'm curious now, if you had an order in today for a Model 3 that was going to be made, yeah. well, would, you, would you wait? Or would you just take one now that's that's cheaper and a bit older? I always put my um, consumer hat on and then look at how much am I going to get once I finish using the car. So I would always opt for the newest and greatest, although it's going to be a little bit more expensive and we are talking 4K. When the car is used and potentially if this facelift model has new tech that the old one doesn't, I'll probably be at a disadvantage. So would I pull my order out if I'm like next in the queue, I don't know, maybe I just take that and then order a new one, you know, in a year or two years time. But if I was still a fair way down the queue, I'd probably take it out and get a new one. What about you, Scott? Uh, I'm the same as you. Um, I know with some cars, you don't want the, the first generation, but this is a midlife facelift. It's not as if you're getting brand new tech across the board. So if the option exists and when it does come time to sell the car, Jade makes a really good point. You're going to want to be selling the newer one. As we saw when uh, Model Y came out, people flooded the used car market with cars that they got, they ordered it, yeah. So hopefully we don't see too much of that again. Hopefully now there's uh, less of an issue getting cars in stock. That I would be, be really easier. interested to see what the software updates are coming to the facelift model and whether over-the-air updates will be applied to the current generation and what the bridge gap will be. Um, so we'll have to wait to see what that looks like. But yeah, I would always kind of opt for the newer one. It is a 4K increase, but... Given EVs tend to drop quite significantly in their resale value, I, yeah, I'd still opt for the, 
the newest one. I think it's also going to be interesting to see, and Tesla has been really good at looking after older cars with software updates. Um, the Model S is an example of that. It's been around for a really long time now and there's still updates rolling out to it. But like with your phone or your computer, after a certain point, there's hardware changes that mean that some of the new software stuff doesn't work. So it's going to be interesting down the track to see where Tesla stops supporting the first Model 3 with software updates and when only the, the updated model actually starts getting that tech in the same way it is with all these brands that are moving to over-the-air updates now. Cool. Well, uh, we'll put a link in the description of uh, the podcast. If you want to find out what we know, we'll keep you up to date with it as much as we can. And uh, as new news comes out, then we'll uh, make sure that you're up to date. Uh, we'll move on to the next topic now. Uh, Mercedes-Benz had a bit of a win in federal court uh, in the last few days. Um, a bit of a different speed to our usual yeah. stuff that's talking about the federal court. It's interesting, I guess, when we say it's a, it's a win for Mercedes-Benz as in the company. It's not a win for Mercedes-Benz dealers, which is where the problem lies here. Yeah, so Mercedes in Australia has recently moved to an agency model. Um, the way that most car brands traditionally have sold cars is Mercedes imports the cars from its head office and it then auctions them off to the dealers and the dealers are individual businesses which then put their own prices on, deal with customers and sell them off separately. What Mercedes has done, and it's the same as what Honda's done and Cooper does in Australia, is it moved to a model where it owns all of the stock and the dealers are essentially shop fronts with fixed prices and when a customer decides to buy a GLC, the dealer gets a set cut of that sale but they can't haggle on prices and they don't own their own stock. Um, and when they made this change, they, uh, they essentially ended a whole lot of franchise agreements that left dealers really upset and landed them in court like this. And so the dealers are actually, they got together and took, uh, took Mercedes-Benz to the federal court and they were looking for compensation for lost revenue in the area of about $650 million. That's what's been reported. Yeah. Yeah, so reportedly, yes, let's be very clear on that. Um, agency models aren't new uh, to the car world. Uh, Honda's been doing it for a while, like you said. Uh, Subaru have done it. They, I know, well, actually it was quite a while ago, Subaru sold the WRX online before you uh, actually the BRZ. The and they did it with the BRZ. Um, so this is this is not really like a, a a brand new idea in the car world, but I guess I'll put on the hat of when I used to work in a dealer. <laughs> um, dealers rely on the individual sales and they rely on the ability to haggle, upsell, add accessories, add service plans. That's how they make their money. Uh, I guess I can understand where the dealers are coming from, but I can also understand where Mercedes come from. So I don't want to take up, I don't want to pick a side here, but I guess the question I have to you guys is, uh, and I'll open it up to the floor, would you rather the ability to go in and haggle on the price of a car or would you rather just know what you're paying for by just clicking the button online? This is so interesting because I want to get a male's opinion and then I want to see if a female's opinion is going to be the same because we Let's have start with very the different... <laughs> yeah, but, well, it, I'm, it's not going to be a surprise to anyone that when a female walks into a dealership versus male is a very different customer experience. So I think for me... Going into a dealership and knowing what I want and knowing the product, I'm very confident in being able to haggle, right? In saying that, my first car, I ended up paying overs for. But anyways. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that yes, later. Yes, <laughs> we will. Um, yeah, so look, I think there are certain females and women who have that ability to be confident going into a dealership. But I think there's a lot of women that want to have that ability to go in there, but are just scared because of that haggle situation. So if they know what to expect, all they have to do is comfortably walk in, test drive the car, evaluate it for their lifestyle, and they walk out a lot more happier and have such a better customer experience. So I think from a gender perspective, it's great. I think if you're looking at it from 
post-COVID. Used car prices are still quite high and all that type of stuff. So I think that's a whole nother question and answer in itself. But Scully, coming from a male's perspective, what do you think? Um, I... I actually used to work at a Harvey Norman. Um, I used to sell computers and cameras and stuff and people came in and loved haggling. And there are definitely those people out there, but ultimately one of the things that we've heard from some car brands who've made the switch to agency is one of the reasons to move away from haggling is you might be the best in the world at getting a deal, but if you and your mate have bought the same car and you're standing at a barbecue and I've paid more, four grand more than you or vice versa, one of us loses out of the, the transaction, we come away disappointed. So male or female, I can understand the logic of trying to fix prices. I think also the, the business has changed. I mean, car prices are going up, consumer demands are really, really tough at the moment. People want lots of safety, lots of efficiency. Governments are putting really strict emissions and safety standards in place and it's hard for car brands to make money. So um, I, I also, from that perspective, understand the switch to agency. What I do think is a loss is the ability to, to sort of cross shop or sanity check dealers because uh, there are obviously good dealers out there and bad dealers out there, but one of the advantages of shopping for the best price is you speak to lots of different people about the same car, you learn different things from each of them and maybe you can come back and call to account some of the people who did the wrong thing or didn't know their stuff to start with. And the shift to agency, although you might have a preferred person who's talking to you, does take some of that away. So. I guess we'll have to wait and see what actually happens with this. Uh, I'm sure that there's going to be more to this story that will come out. So we'll, um, we'll wait to see. But I guess there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, isn't there? So. Well, I think the other thing is one of the, the arguments from dealers about this agency model has been a loss of competition. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, if you don't want to pay a fixed price, there are five or six brands in Australia who have fixed prices and about 55 who don't. Yeah. So if you don't want to get a fixed price on a Merc, BMW will happily have a conversation with you about price. They'll give you what you want, we don't know, but there's still plenty of variety and competition out there. That's a really interesting point, yeah. 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 All right, well, like, I think that sort of covers the, the hot topics of the news this week, uh, but we've got a lot of questions to get through, so let's just dive right in. We're gonna start with uh, Cody on Instagram sent us a question, MUX or CX-9? Now, to me, they're very different. They're very cars. different Thank cars. You. Yeah. I was like, am I the only person in the room that thinks this? But, but that, that being said, you know, again, putting on the deal hat that I used to have, uh, people would cross shop cars very differently to the way that we might tend to compare yeah. cars. So. Uh, let's uh, let's let's see if we can help Cody out a little bit. MUX or CX9? Jade, I'm oh, going to jump straight it. to you on this one. I was like, oh, I wanted to read the room first. Oh, see, the problem is, is I've tested them both and I love both, but for very, very different reasons. Right, so if you were an adventurous family, wanted to go a little bit off-road, do a bit of camping, which one are you buying? Yeah, no, no question there, MUX. I've driven it heaps of times, did four-wheel driving, you know, did Isuzu iVenture in it, loved it would buy one myself as a car that I would take bush bashing. Would I take a CX-9 bush bashing? No. But how many Australians with a family do that quite often? Not a lot. So I think with Cody, my follow-up, <laughs> you know, if, if, yeah, if, if, you know, slide into the DMs, what, we need some more context. I think if we were looking straight blind off the bat, MUX is cheaper doesn't come with as much kit as what a family might need um, than the CX-9. And isn't as nice to drive on the road. No, so. it, it is a little, yeah, it's it's based off a of ute. So yeah, very different drive, but I think, oh, I'm not gonna say what I'm gonna choose, you go, <laughs> and then 
I still don't know. That's a handball. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to Cody know. if you are listening or watching. Slide into uh, the Carrickspur DMs and let us or know. Or Jade's a DMs. Bit, or Jade's DMs. Let us know a little bit con- more <laughs> context that, behind <laughs> MUX and CX9. Um, but Scott, we're, like, just at face value, where would you land? I'd take a CX9. Yep. I am not a bush bash sort of person. Um, I really quite like the CX9, even though it's old. And because it's now being replaced by the CX90 and running out, there is potentially a chance to snap up a deal before they're gone. Yep. So I'd be saving myself some money going a low end CX9 and very happily driving on the road. Interesting. Well, Sean? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move. Okay, well, I'd take an MUX, very simple. But right. um, I, my well, reason kind of the opposite Sean, to Scott. Yeah. So uh, we'll go with an equally as difficult question. Mac on Instagram wants to know which is better, a GLC, the Mercedes GLC 300 or a Lexus NX 350HF Sport? I will answer this first and only because I'm going to hand it straight to Scully. I'm not a luxury person whatsoever. So Scully, this question is all yours. Yeah, my answer is neither. I'd have a BMW X3 or a Volvo XC60. That's not one of the options. Scott. I know it's not. Um, <laughs> look, the GLC, uh, I like more than the NX. The NX is a little bit small inside, even though the tech is much better in it, it still has, it's a little bit Lexus-y. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's a weird sort of word, but there's a very distinct feel to it. The GLC feels and looks a bit more modern, but it's just so expensive. The only one available in Australia now is more than 100 mm. grand. So We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Exactly. Yeah, so. so allowed a bit more freedom, I'd be looking at a BMW X330i, the petrol, yep. or a base Volvo XC60 with the options packs, and you're looking at less than 90 grand, all-wheel drive, and... You can haggle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Haggle. You can haggle on and the price. Very good. Okay. Uh, Bully1185 on Instagram wants to know, is there an Audi Q3 facelift coming? Jade, do you have the answer to that? I'm going to pass this one to Scully. I do know the answer, but you have some details? I have no details. No, uh, okay. Yes, there should be. Yes, there should it's be. about that time in yeah. its life, but we don't know when exactly or what it's going to look like. Yeah, so we used some math and we figured out that there will be one, but we just don't know when or what it will look yeah. like. Okay, cool. So as a general rule, cars last about three to five years before they get a midlife update. Except the Q- for a Tesla Model 3, which is... Yeah, yeah Tesla's always. like the <laughs> exception <laughs> to every rule. And yeah. the Land Cruiser 70 Series, which is a million years. Yes, it's actually coming up for it. It's just finished being run in for the first time, the 70 Series. So, yes, uh, Bully, uh, eventually, uh, should answer that question. Uh, Corn Joe on Instagram wants to know, the old school thought of diesels shouldn't be used for fort trips, for short trips, sorry. <laughs> if you're going to storm a fort, take a diesel, yeah. Uh, I.e. school runs and shopping runs. Is this still a relevant argument with all the new diesel engines in family SUVs or has the myth been busted? Look, it depends on the diesel you're buying. Of course. But ultimately, the advice that, I tend to give is if you are mostly doing short runs in the city and that sort of thing, the benefits of diesel are kind of lost on you anyway. Ultimately, diesel engines do their best work if you're towing a big load, you've got a big car, or you're spending a lot of time on the highway where they're at their most efficient. If you are mostly in town, a petrol engine is going to be nicer to drive, but you do negate the risk of problems with the DPF and that sort of thing. Ultimately, there are plenty of people out there who drive their diesel cars to and from school with the occasional highway run and they're fine, but that car is not at its best in that environment. Okay, there you go. That, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Jerry Can on Instagram wants to know, with the rise in car thefts, will cars soon standardise pin code immobiliser or similar systems, especially due to keyless entry slash start systems being easily hacked? Um, this comes from a dark corner of Reddit, I've I presume. Just, yeah, <laughs> I've just kind of pictured, you know how you can get the electronic, like, pin codes on your like front door. Oh, like a, yeah, when you go to Airbnb? Grabbing that and then just plastering it on a car. Um, yeah, 
No, I, I don't think so. I think there is definitely in America a really big push on to improve this technology, well, but that's because it's not. Doors, right? Yeah, Ford still does yeah. that. Yeah, it's not standardised in America to have, I mean, now I think it is, um, to have an immobiliser on the car. They had the Kia boys uh, earlier this year that kind of, you know, started a, a viral trend with stealing car thefts. I think... Watch a video up here if you want to know more about that that Paul covered for us. <laughs> yeah, that was scary. Um, yes. Yeah, that was crazy. I don't know to what level of security it's going to go to, but I definitely think... Um, especially luxury car brands having app capabilities and things like that. I think it is something that they're looking at and it'd be really interesting to see exactly what technology emerges from there. I think that makes a lot of sense with, with the phone apps that you can now have with most cars. You can use Face ID, it, it's, it's a fairly safe thing. Look, I think one of the things that Jerry Can has mentioned here, it feels really strange saying this is someone's name. I don't know what your name actually is, Jerry Can. Um, I'm assuming it's Jerry, but I could yes. be wrong. Can Jerry? Jerry Can. Um, one of the, the worries with the, the keyless entry and start systems is essentially if you've got the right bit of tech, if my car's parked on the street and my key is in the house, you can magnify the key signal to make the car think that the key is next to it or in it and start the car and drive away. Um, but car brands are pretty awake to this stuff uh, and already we're seeing app connectivity, car brands changing bands and that sort of thing to try to make it harder to do. so. Yeah, I, I don't think the immobilizer or a key code is the solution. I think there's also a lot more um, GPS tech on mm. cars now that they weren't a long time ago. So I think if your car does get stolen, there's a pretty good chance you're gonna know where it ends up, to what extent of damage and you know the final product and nobody knows. I do know that I do see on my Twitter an increasing amount of car thefts here in Melbourne. Maybe it's, I'm paying more attention, but it seems like every week there's a car theft. Um, they usually target older cars, so I'm keen to see whether the new technology is just too much effort for thieves these days. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see a report. There you go. Okay, well, hopefully, Jerry can. We answer that question for you. Uh, Mo on Instagram has given us a very tough question. I know the guys had a lot of trouble trying to figure this one out. Uh, what is the best family car for three kids under the age of six that it's less than $35,000? Scott? Yeah, this is a tough question. Um, I've written down Mahindra XUV 700. That's not, it's not actually, actually less than, than 35 grand, but it is Australia's cheapest new seven seat car. Yeah. Um, Look, if you're a small person and your family's quite small, you can get into a Kia Seltos uh, or a new Hyundai Kona for under or around 35 grand. And they're not gonna fit three car seats across in the back. They're not gonna be nearly as comfortable as a bigger car, but they could work as a family car. Alternatively, you could look at the used market and try to find yourself an old X-Trail or Outlander or an older, again, bigger car like a Pajero Sport or something like that. I mean, potentially you could even find a, like a used Kia that's less than seven years old and still has a bit of warranty, so. Yeah, I mean, the, the current Sportage starts at just over 40 grand. So if you can find one that's a couple of years old and used car prices are kind of coming back to earth slowly, um, that still has three or four years of warranty, you're in good shape. What about you, Jade? No, nah, that was gonna be my vote. I think three kids under six, when I nannied, that was my hardest thing because I nannied three kids under four. So I was always trying to find compatible car seats with my car and trying to figure out how do I fit well, a double pram. What were you pram? using as a car when you? A Holden Cruise, uh, which, <laughs> there you go. yeah, that's, that's, rest I mean, in peace. Similar size to, uh, to a, uh, what's Look, it, well, I the think Seltos, the, I suppose, inside, the, so yeah. Yeah, the Kona and the Seltos, I think you can definitely fit three car seats along the back. You are definitely gonna have to get um, compact car seats and no, 
baby capsules, you'll have to definitely put your kids in zero to four baby seats. But if you've already done that, um, the only thing that I would be a little bit hesitant about going with the Seltos and the Kona would be boot space. If you're going to be putting a double pram in there, plus your groceries, plus, you know, the kids' preschool bags, it is going to get really crowded really quickly. So. Well, Mo, let us know uh, if you do end up getting a car that fits three kids under six uh, for less than $35,000, write to us and let us know what you end up doing. Mo, how do you have time to be messaging us if you have three yes. kids under six? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, Sunday Drivers underscore AU on Instagram said, what car is for sale overseas but not in Australia that you would like to see come down under? You're the host, but you should start this because you love American yeah. stuff. I feel like that's where we're going. I do. Uh, you, you can buy them, but they're sort of like, it's a bit questionable. I'd love to see something like the Challenger, uh, Hellcat, Demon, oh, yes. F-150 Raptor, uh, the Shelby, Mustang Shelby. So those sort of muscle cars, I think that'd be really cool to see. I'm going America too, the Lucid Air. Oh, I nice. I am so keen to try this thing. And I think the only way I'm going to do it is if I get a, a plane ticket dream, to America. <laughs> yeah. um, which is sad, but they, um, I think, have just expanded outside of America or they have plans to do so. so yeah, I they're think, in the UK now, I think. Which is exciting because that's left-hand drive. Right-hand um, drive, Right-hand yes. drive. I always get confused. With the same the same Where as We us. drive on them, yes. Yes, uh, that one. I go this today. I'm very excited. Hopefully, eventually, they'll come to Australia. I'm going also for America, actually. Uh, Acura Integra Type S. Ooh, um, nice. I love the Honda Civic Type R, but they're very hard to get. The Acura is a sort of coupe four-door liftback version Slightly more comfortable, apparently. I think it looks fantastic. And if it means that more people can get behind the wheel of a Civic, it means I'm more likely to be able to buy one used cheap soon. Right, so Acura, for those who don't know, or Acura, depending on where you're from, yeah. is essentially- It's a, Honda's Lexus. Honda's Lexus, yes, in America. Yeah. So, uh, but they do release cars like the NSX and the Civic and stuff like that will tend to come out only in uh, Acura trim as opposed to Honda trim. Yeah, depending on what the model is over yeah. there, they get some models that are Hondas here that are Acuras over there. Yes, so just to be clear on that, hopefully that clears that up. Uh, ben Ronald on IG says, if you have forty to $45,000... Oh, no. <laughs> Who calls it IG? That's what I wrote down here. So <laughs> <laughs> I got so stuck on trying oh, to read his name. Yeah. <laughs> If you had forty dollars to $45,000 to spend on a new SUV that didn't have a massive wait list, what would it be and why? Jade, throw Tucson, it straight to you. I had to actually do my research because I uh, wasn't quite <laughs> sure. You're saying that like um, it's not a pre... Hey, I had to look this up. I don't know the full... No, <laughs> You're I mean, to know off the top of your head. That's okay. 40, I was literally scratching my head. Forty to forty-five grand for a new SUV that was something that I would want to stay in for the next five to seven years. That's available was, now is the hard part. Exactly. Yeah. I went with Tucson. If you get a base model they're probably going to be around somewhere. Dealers more than likely will have them as demos as well. Um, you can haggle on those ones. Um, three car seats in the back, pretty large boot space, and very similar to Sportage, which if you really want to get in a Sportage but don't want to wait, choose on your answer. I've gone smaller. Uh, Mazda CX-30 with the 2.5-litre engine. Um, it has far less space in the back of the boot, but I really enjoy driving it. And 40 to 45 grand buys you a really nice one that... Feels like a mini luxury car almost. Joseph's Photography underscore one on IG asks, <laughs> thoughts on the new Kona and when will we see a Kona EV? Uh, who wants to take this one? So Kona EV has already been revealed. Looks a lot like the normal Kona, but more electric. It's got less grill, more sort of greeny bits on it. Um, it'll be in Australia later this year, early next year. Thoughts on the new Kona, it is much bigger and much more comfortable inside, which it needed to be. The original Kona was one of the first in that class and it was very small. Um, enjoyed driving it. I think the 1.6 litre engine is much better with the new transmission. 
I'm curious to know what you thought of the tennis ball green one we had through this. If you want to see that video, click up here, yeah. Uh, Didn't have spin, actually, and I wish I did. Um, But styling-wise, I think when the Stario came out and had similar styling, everyone was like, nope, not touching that. And then that was the only car you could buy and everyone kind of calmed down. So I think that will be the same with Kona. It will kind of shock a few people, and then after that, everyone will kind of get used to it and start buying it. I think it's a very good value proposition for what it is. They've increased the size. The kit that it comes with has also been updated. So I think it's great. I'd be interested to see the EV when it does come out, what the fuel consumption and range is gonna be like on the EV and then the fuel consumption on the hybrid. I'm not 100% sure on that, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think the Kona is really uh, a kind of a cool car because it's an SUV without being an SUV. It's more like a station wagon. It's got a bit of extra space, a bit like of extra a, lift. Like a hatchback, sure? Kind of like a hatchback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Isn't so it? I, I have seen a, a new, new Kona in red um, with the... Headline yeah. package. It looks really cool. It looks like an AMG A45, the first gen one almost, with the sort of spoiler yeah. on the back. Yeah, and, so yeah. No, they're, they're doing a good thing. So I'm very excited to see the EV when it comes out as well. All right, so Judith, or Jude T95 on Instagram says, is Australia doing enough in regards to emissions of new cars compared to other nations? Uh, Anthony Albanese. Albanese. a comedy question, Sean. <laughs> Anthony Albanese, if you are listening, uh, do more. But oh. Scott, I know you have an answer to this as well. Uh, yeah, I've written down on my piece of paper here, no, but soon. <laughs> um, a big question mark after soon. Yeah, right? yeah. So at the moment, uh, the federal government is in the process of taking submissions. It's just released actually the, the general sort of feedback the public has given on this topic along with industry and is now in the process of putting together fuel efficiency standards for Australia. So we are one of very few developed nations in the world not to have a fuel efficiency standard, but... Hopefully in the coming months, something is formalized that forces car manufacturers to be held accountable for what their cars emit. Um, And if it is strict enough for, I suppose, if it gives enough incentive to brands to to focus on new powertrain tech, it could mean we see more efficient cars and more electric cars in Australia. Does that mean they're gonna be more expensive though? It definitely could do, yes. Um, We've actually heard conflicting reports on that. Volkswagen has said, It's been one of the brands that has been really vocal about this because its argument has always been if you get fined in Europe for selling inefficient cars and there's no penalty in Australia, why would they send the efficient cars to Australia? Volkswagen's actually said there's a chance that cars will cost the same or be cheaper because Volkswagen no longer needs to produce different cars. We can just take the Euro spec. Also, has our fuel quality improved? Because that was long a complaint to Volkswagen why we got... from the end of next year, the expectation is our fuel quality is at a similar standard or the same standard to Europe. That's also being brought into force. Okay, wow. A lot of big change. Yes, a lot of change. Mm. Uh, Whether any of it will happen or whether it's all a white elephant, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Okay, this is a fun one. Uh, We're going to go straight to you, Jade, for this one. Johnny130i on Instagram wants to know, what is the first car the team owned? Jade, you take it away. You know when you're drunk and you're like, I'm going to get a tattoo that says no regrets no, not a single <laughs> not even one letter Scotty the T. biggest regret of my whole entire life and it is the first car that I owned I think I was under the hype of like oh my god this is my first car and I bought it brand new so I obviously understand that I had a privilege in doing that I paid for it all by myself um but it was a holding cruise and it was a demo. I'm so sorry. I'm totally understanding where your regret comes yeah. from. <laughs> Look, it, that wasn't even the extent. Was it a I diesel? Know. No, petrol. Oh, that's better. At least. Um, it was, oh, I don't even remember what variant it was. It was 
that traumatic. I just shut it that off in my brain. How long did you have it for? I had it for about a year. Within that year, um, it had two recalls from Holden. And then on top of that, um, the engine needed to be replaced. Oh, my God. That and then <laughs> at a separate incident, um, coolant, the coolant pipe, like, broke and leaked coolant everywhere. So again, everything needed to be taken out of the engine bay, cleaned and then put back in. So I think the car was at Holden more than it was in my driveway. <laughs> it also cost me quite a lot of money every single time I had to be towed to Holden. Um, thankfully, I got that money back, but obviously outlaying that money. We thankfully lived about 5Ks from the Holden dealership. If it was any further- It wasn't further. an hourly fee that was gonna blow <laughs> up well, from yeah. miles away. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. I, I think, my dad, I was in South America uh, visiting family and my dad texts me one day, he goes, um, just transferring you $18,000. And I was like, that's a bit random. What Thank for? you very much. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was I'd like, why? He goes, he goes, I sold your car, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then I called him, didn't answer. So I uh, came back, no car, but I think that was probably the best thing for me yeah, at the time. Happened. Yeah, Top contender for the car that killed Holden. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was not great. All right, Scott, what about you? Uh, not a Holden Cruise, thank God. Um, I had a 2007 Subaru Liberty Wagon. I uh, got it in 2013, which is when I turned 18. How big was the cannon on the back? Tell me when to stop. No, other direction. Oh, Completely stopped. Shooter. Okay. It was a 2.5 litre manual, base model. So it had a button for the auxiliary plug inside for your iPod, but wasn't connected to anything. There was a blanking plate where that was meant to go in the glove box. Um, I loved it. It was a bit gutless. It was a little bit small in the back, even though it was quite a big car, but that's the last generation of good looking Subaru, I think. It was really good fun to drive and it, it just, I don't know, it still kind of makes me feel nostalgic today thinking about it. Um, I ended up selling it to a man called Mario and his father, Mario. Um, I was heading- Original. <laughs> I was heading overseas and was going to be sitting there and I, I moved it on. And this guy walked up the driveway and I said, oh, you must be Mario. He goes, no, 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 you've been talking to my son, Mario. My name's Mario. <laughs> Very good, Mario. That's okay. <laughs> Glad we cleared that one up. <laughs> yes. uh, what about you? Uh, mine, uh, well, I had the greatest car ever made. It was a 1999 AU Falcon Forte in gold with the waterfall grill. Yep. Uh, it was a very good drift car uh, on a dirt road. Allegedly. And, uh, no, it's a, the, the, the private dirt road. Um, <laughs> In my mind. Uh, and it had, in your it, mind. And it had a tape deck, so yeah, it was great. I love right. that thing. And you've now grown up to a BA Falcon. <laughs> yes, I don't think I ever, BF actually. I don't think I ever serviced that, uh, that for the first Falcon I had. It just kept running. Um, <laughs> I, I really was, want to know what uh, young people these days are buying as their first car. MG3s. Ooh. Are you a young person? Leave us a comment and let us know what your first yeah. car is. Um, okay, so Mike Bedford 4362 on YouTube wants to know why is it when manufacturers bring out model generation updates, they are almost always larger in size? Scott, do you want to answer that? Why are they larger in size? I am why. People are getting bigger. You're not a model generation update, you're a new generation. Potentially, but people are getting bigger and they're demanding more from their cars. Uh, if you've bought a 3 Series previously, and you put your kids in the back of it, and they hop in the new one, and all of a sudden your kids don't fit any better than they did in the last one. You're gonna go and look somewhere else for something more spacious. So that's definitely part of it. I think the other thing is it's getting really hard to build small cars that meet safety standards and make money on them. So if you're a car maker, you can charge 32 grand for a base Kona instead of 25 for a base i30. And yes, the car is physically bigger, but it uses a lot of the same bits. 
and you can make more money from it. So that's kind of part of it as well. Uh, look, I think when I look at the cars that are currently top selling in Australia, they're all big. Yeah. It doesn't Ute, make or sense. Utes, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, Utes, massive, you know, seven seat SUVs. Those kind of cars is what people gravitate towards naturally. I think when you look at a smaller car, it's good for a runaround, it's good for a very short amount of time. It's not a sustainable car for a lot of people that go through a lot of uh, stages in their life. So I think that that's why manufacturers probably look at that and they're like, customers are gonna look at a Kia Picanto. You know, it's very unlikely that someone is gonna keep that car for the same amount of time that they would if they had a growing family and, you know, things like that. So that Yep. Although, I think it's kind of rubbish that you do need a massive car when you have a family. Yeah. Yes, you definitely do need space, but for huge parts of Europe, for example, the ideal family car is a Volkswagen Golf. Yeah. So, it can be done. When you have your first kid, you don't need seven seats. No, when exactly. When your kid is an infant, you don't need a uh, carnival. Right. The three of us say with no children. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've spoken to people that have children. And I'm I familiar with the concept. <laughs> most of them feel the same way. It's, yeah, yeah, that sums that up. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll move on. We're nearly at the end of this. So Milt Brady on YouTube wants to know, do you think people should get a special license to tow a caravan? I'll take this one. Why have you started yes. twitching, Sean? Yes, they should. <laughs> that, is the, that is the end of Why, that. Why, Sean? Why it's, should everybody... Look, okay. To put some logic behind it, it's very simple. If you want to ride a motorbike, drive just, a truck, I'm just going to drive move a bus. that in case yeah. you get really angry and throw <laughs> it. Um, if you want, if you want to operate anything that's not a standard motor vehicle, you have to get a license. Yeah. But then you can slap a three and a half ton caravan on the back of a car and just go towing. And the the dynamics of the car, the physics of the vehicle, it all changes. So. Uh, yes, uh, ask any truck driver, and there is a lot of them out there, who have to go and get a specific license to move from one type of truck to another type of truck. There's a very good reason why they have to do that, and I think that that rule should definitely apply to people. The first two questions on that test should be, are you familiar with the concept of hotels? And then, have you heard of tents? Uh, yes. we're, we're very different people. Like, I'm like, yeah, give me a four-wheel drive, a caravan, like a proper caravan where I can go four-wheel driving with my caravan. And yeah, don't, I don't even know what a hotel is. But <laughs> I, back to the question, I don't know if a special license is required. I do think training should be required. No, I think a special license is definitely important because otherwise, why do you need one for a motorbike? I think the special license should be a license that you clip onto your normal license when you're driving a caravan. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and when the police come and pull you over, yeah. you have to give them the whole thing with the thing hanging off the back by a tow ball, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I think it's definitely, it definitely should be a consideration on your license. So, uh, okay, we'll move on uh, before I get too angry about that. <laughs> Abduo on YouTube wants to know, can you import a left-hand drive car and use it permanently and legally in Australia? Who wants to take that one? Yes, but you shouldn't, yeah, okay, is the enough. answer. And Paul has some good reasons yes. as to why, which will be linked up in. We'll put a link to that video. There. <laughs> um, it can be done with old cars, but getting the car over is quite a tricky process in a number of cases. And then when it's here, to get the permission to drive the left-hand drive car, it needs to meet a whole lot of criteria that mean maybe it's not the car you want to be daily driving anyway. Basically, the, I think the short answer is look for one that's already here. Um, save yourself a lot of the hard work and pain. Okay, we're, uh, we're going to wrap this up, but there is one new thing I wanted to introduce to the podcast, and it's our picks of the week. So basically, it's something we've seen this week that we just wanted to throw out there that maybe you might like to go and look at yourself. So Scott, I'm going to go straight to you. Yep. What have you got? I have got a video from Collecting Cars, uh, Chris Harris driving the Tuthill Porsche 911K. This thing has been developed by Richard Tuthill and the specialists at Tuthill who make racing Porsches. 
It has got an engine in it that revs to 11,000 RPM. Which is where the K comes from. The exactly, yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, the video is really good fun because it's just people throwing around a ridiculous Porsche, but also as someone who loves 911s, it's kind of a bit of a holy grail car. It's possibly more dangerous than the one you can see on the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, sounds incredible. Go and watch it. Yeah. Jade, what have you got? What's your pick of the week? Okay, so my pick of the week is something that has recircled around uh, to today. Um, a tradie uh, in Perth was apparently quoted $15,000 to remove some trees on his property. Uh, he decided that that was not something he wanted to do. He strapped uh, some straps onto the trunk of the tree, strapped it onto his ute and just yanked it. Um, <laughs> the video is great. Definitely do not recommend doing that at home. He obviously had a little bit of previous experience. The straight and the chassis rails on no, Ford Ranger, and, and it was, it was quite an old grand. car. It, it looked like... It was and, a mid-2000s again, Ranger, I think. Yeah, it was a, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but it was cool. I was like, mm, wouldn't try that, but fair play. Save me 15 grand. Maybe we can ask Paul DeBorey's Humvee and try it out. It'd <laughs> yes. be fun. What cool. about you, Sean? All right, so my pick this week, uh, the trailer for the Michael, Ma Ma Michael Mann movie Ferrari dropped, stars Adam Driver, the story of Enzo Ferrari. Whatever, you go and watch it, make your own decision Wasn't on the trailer. Wasn't Adam Driver also in a Lamborghini movie recently? Surely that's Possibly. going to be a conflict Possibly. of interest. It must be. Um, but what, I, what I'm curious uh, is, is what would you guys pick if you were to make a movie about making of a car and biopics bio about the making of things are very popular right now, what would you pick? Jade, have you got one? What, what, what would you like to see a movie made really about? Really put me on the spot here. Oh, we'll come back. We can come back if you like. Ooh. Uh, yeah, come back. Okay, Scott, what would you pick? Uh, I am intrigued by history. Mm -hmm. I want to know how the Beatle got made. Oh. And I realise that turns into a World War documentary, yeah. um, but it would be really, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Car of the People. Jade, you got, you got one yet? Um, I was going to say The Leaf. It was the first one of the first electric cars. And I think going through the concept, because it was obviously something really new at the time and uh, it didn't really catch on straight away. Because it was terrible. Um, <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Spoken like a true V8 Falcon owner. <laughs> it's still not very um, good. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be cool to kind of see the engineering and, and kind of geek out on all that type of stuff. Again, slightly historical, but not as that far back. Hosted by um, Al Gore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would kind of be my pick. I'm really interested in that stuff. Well, my one, I would pick uh, the Bugatti Veyron, the making of the Bugatti oh, yeah. Veyron. Like, I think that would just be such a cool thing. The, the first car that's a 1,000 horsepower could do 420 odd kilometres an hour. That would be a really cool story. Uh, but I think that's uh, probably a really good place to leave it this week, guys. Any final thoughts you want to leave us with? I want to know more about the Nissan Leaf now because Carlos Ghosn was involved. He left, got smuggled out of Japan in a violin... There's a lot to that story. Ooh. That's your homework for this week, There could Scott. be spin-offs. Netflix, yeah. hit us up. Yeah. We will, uh, yeah. I'll take some of that Netflix cash. That'd be mm. great. Well, if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, please uh, leave them on YouTube. Please leave us a review on whatever podcast streaming app you're listening to. And if you have anything that you'd like to ask us or would like to know, email us, podcast at carexpert.com.au. That's it for this week, guys. Uh, over the next coming weeks, we're going to put together a special little video where Jade learns to drive a manual car. So... Make sure you subscribe for that because it is coming up. Am I teaching you? Or are you are teaching I'm her. teaching you, yes. okay. Yes, it's my job to film. That is what I do. So, <laughs> so make sure you subscribe for that. It is coming in the next few weeks, so stand by. Uh, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Thank all of you for joining us, and we will see you next week.